In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That portion of God's Word which we consider this morning, the Holy Spirit has caused the evangelist Matthew to write for our comfort and our learning. Uh, We place a special emphasis on these words of God the Father. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Let us pray. These are your words, Holy Father. Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Everybody listens to somebody. I guess it all depends on who you listen to. The current accusations of misinformation, disinformation, fake news seem to all just kind of muddle together into a big blob of uncertainty. Who knows the truth? It seems as if we are surrounded by pilots constantly scoffing and asking that question, what is truth? Upon whom can we rely in order to have a firm basis for our lives? Who do we listen to? Well, that's the point of the transfiguration, is learning who we're listening to. Why does Jesus talk to Moses and Elijah, men long departed from their earthly life? Why does Jesus show his glory before he goes to suffer and die? Why does he bring Peter, James, and John? Why are we observing this feast on a Sunday morning? Why does Jesus show his glory before he suffers and dies? Next week, we're going to begin a three-week preparation for Lent. It's called Septuagesima. Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, and it is a traditional time for fasting and focusing on the suffering and life and death of Jesus. And the tradition is that the pastors needed to start three weeks beforehand so that they could help the laymen fast. And so the Jesimas after Epiphany are an ancient tradition of preparing for Lent, which is itself a preparation for Easter. And so Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem during Lent, and we will walk with him. We will face his suffering and learn his doctrine. We will meditate on these things of prayer and fasting until we commemorate Jesus' words and works in the upper room, his agony and bloody sweat in Gethsemane, his betrayal and abandonment by his friends, the trials, the false accusations, the whip and fist, scourge, the insults, the spit, the purple robe and the crown of thorns, the nakedness and shame, the loneliness and darkness and horror and fear and pain, deep, penetrating, great pain that Jesus bore. We will remember the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ with more fervor than we usually do. We will look into the darkness of that cross, so to speak, to ask ourselves why this man who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. We will peer into the darkness and find the heart of God glowing with mercy for sinners even as he suffers for us in flesh like ours. We will see the light and hope of sinful men in the darkness of a day when Christ was crucified bearing the sin of the world. Take up our cross and we follow him. There can be no other way but that lonely way As it was for Christ, so it is for us. We look for the glory of God in the suffering and death of Jesus Christ because it is there that God's glory 
is won for us, is secured for us. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Consider what this means in your life. It means disappointment. It means regrets. It means having walked away from God and all glory for the sake of a fading light in your life. It means sin ruling, enslaving, threatening. It means death is all there is. It means relying on your own understanding and then finding that you understand nothing in the end. Falling short of the glory of God. Not being able to look at God for fear. Not wanting to talk to him. Not knowing him. A sad picture. And yet, it is in the cross, it is precisely where Jesus dies for sin, that God meets every sinner under heaven and teaches me and you to learn that no creature could make satisfaction for our sins. Only Christ, true God and man, could do that. It is there that Jesus teaches us to be horrified by our sins and to regard them as very serious, even if the world thinks it's no big deal. And it is there on the cross that we finally we find our joy and comfort in Christ alone and through faith in him are saved. It is in the cross. So why this mountain with glory shining, with Moses and Elijah apparently already with their bodies raised? Why this beautiful sight of Jesus' divinity shining in our mortality, purer than anything man has ever cleaned, more glorious than any celebrity or man of fame has ever attained to? Shining brighter than the sun, pure and white and glorious and beautiful, beautiful Savior. Seems to be a dream. Jesus has never done this. When he was born, he was a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. The light shone in the heavens, but not from the manger. He's shown his miracles, yes. He's shown his divinity without advertising his divinity. As a normal man. He has made himself known as God so far only through his doctrine, his compassionate life, and his miracles. But now he shows himself for who he is. He doesn't hide it. He shines in front of two witnesses from the Old Testament and three witnesses from the New Testament with light inexpressible and full of glory. Why? Why did he do this? He is showing Peter, James, John, and us that it is God who goes to the cross. It is no mere man. It is the God who walked with them and taught them. It is, the, it is God who will drink the cup of his own wrath. It is God who will tread the winepress alone. It is God, the source of all good, the maker of all that is seen and unseen, the one rightly offended by sinners, the judge of all mankind, the terrifying, awesome, consuming fire. That is who is wrapped in our flesh and blood, taking our place under the punishment of the law. It is God, hidden in the suffering and misery of our sin and death. It is God, the source of all life, facing death for us. Beneath the blood we see, beneath the blood we see is the beauty of God. Hidden in the misery is the joy that no man can take from us. God has manifested himself to us in the person of his Son, our Lord Jesus of Nazareth. Moses is there on the mountain with the one who killed him. If you remember, no one found his grave. Moses, Jesus spoke to Moses from the burning bush, right? And you, you'll remember that God, Moses asked to see God's glory later, and God only showed him his back. 
And you just heard that Moses looked away. He was afraid to see God. Normal reaction. And Jesus was the one who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. You'll notice it says the angel of the Lord, and then it says the Lord. This is Jesus. He is the angel of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as fire did not burn the bush from which he spoke, even though it was burning, it consumed, it did not consume it. So Jesus' divinity doesn't destroy our humanity, which he assumed. Look at this. Peter, James, and John can see it. They see the glory of God that we all have fallen short of. And it doesn't kill them. It doesn't destroy his humanity. He doesn't change into some other creature. He still is the man who goes to the cross. He shines with the full fire and light and purity and glory and majesty of God in our skin and bones, our flesh and blood. The glory does not destroy the body and mind he assumed for us and made his own. Listen to him. Listen to the one who shines with the glory of God. Now there's some interesting things about Moses. Next year, I'm going to talk about Elijah more, but I'm going to talk about Moses today. Jesus commanded Moses, you know, before he was incarnate, he is the Lord who brought his people out of Egypt. Jesus commanded Moses once to strike a rock. You remember, they, they didn't have any water, the water was bitter. And he, he, he struck the rock and water came out. Well, then later on, the Israelites complained again. And then Jesus, the Son of God, commanded Moses to speak to the rock. You remember this? Twice water came from the rock. One when it was stricken, and then God wanted him to speak to it. But Moses was mad at the people. And he struck the rock twice. And water still came out. But he disobeyed God. And this was the reason why Moses did not enter the promised land. God was angry with him. Moses, the most humble man who ever lived, who followed God with zeal and holiness and lowliness, with whom God spoke face to face, made this one mistake, and God forbade him from entering into the promised land. He had to die in the land of Moab on Mount Nebo, where he saw the promised land. God took him up there and killed him. And no one knew his grave. But Jesus knew Moses' grave. How was Moses there? Unless God knows his grave. He raised him from the dead. The wages of sin is death. God commanded Moses to strike the rock the first time to give the people water because Christ must be stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God. And he was pierced for on the cross and blood and water came out. And we live by that blood and water. God commanded Moses to speak to the rock the second time to bring water from the rock because it is the word of God that brings this blood and water to us today. But Moses' anger at the people made him strike the rock a second time. But there was no second time from God. God did not command Moses to strike the rock a second time. Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And so now it is the word that brings life from the rock that was once stricken. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen. Listen, you will find the truth. Now, Moses knew the law. He wrote it down. The law can be summarized in the Ten Commandments. It tells you what is right. Love God above all things. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
But the law could not bring him into the promised land. The law kept striking when it should no longer strike. Paul says in Romans this beautiful passage, very mysterious, but it is so beautiful and it's given me great comfort in my life. Christ Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He is the end of the law. Why? Because he fulfilled it. Because everything the law tells you to do, he did. Every threat the law has against you, he bore. He is the end of the law. He has been stricken. And now we must hear the word. The law will just keep striking you if you try to obey it. But don't. Don't let the law rule your conscience. Speak the word. Confess it. Do not strike again what is already stricken. Believe that Christ has already died for you. Believe his word. Listen to him. You receive the water of life from Christ through his word. And if the law or any creature in heaven above or on the earth beneath, Paul says, even if an angel from heaven were to preach to you a different gospel than the one that you received, let him be anathema. Therefore, if the law or any creature ever should tell us that the law can continue to strike when we have already known our sin and Christ has already borne it, that we should continue to fear sins that Christ has died for and washed us clean from, then we must point them to Moses talking with Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration. God killed him when he hit the rock, but he raised him from the dead to talk about, to talk about Christ's exodus, his departure from this world. Moses didn't enter the promised land because he struck the rock when God commanded him to speak to it. Now Christ speaks to Moses about his exodus, it says in, in, in Greek. That's the word, ex in Luke. He's talking about his departure from this earth. And Moses listens. Moses speaks to the rock that is going to be stricken for him in every sinner. He learned his lesson. What a beautiful sight. Can you just imagine this transfiguration? It makes me so happy. It's a, for, a foresight of, of what we're going to have in heaven. This glory in our flesh. What a beautiful thing. It must have been like a dream, but it was real. Peter, James, and John, they saw Jesus' glory, not in changing water into wine, not in healing lepers or stilling storms, but in his flesh and blood that was like theirs. They saw heaven on earth with the two greatest prophets of the Old Testament standing with him and speaking, as Luke says, about his exodus, his departure, his death. That was the topic of conversation when the glory was shining. Jesus' death. I don't blame Peter for wanting to stay. Lord, it is good that we are here. I think we might even be singing that during communion. Are we, Liam? I don't remember. Tis good, Lord, to hear. Yeah. It was good that they were there. Peter wanted to stay, wouldn't you? How many times have you been afraid of God because of your sins? Because of something wrong in your life? And it's been so hard to see him and to think of him makes you feel guilty because you know he's right. You've been wrong. You, it's falling short of the glory of God. And these guys can see the glory of God and it doesn't hurt them. They only enjoy it. They don't run away. They wanted to stay. Keep the bright, comforting glory, the majesty of heaven shining on earth. He wants to build three tents, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Let's stay here on this mountain, in this glory. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Listen to him. And then it wasn't so calm and serene. 
The voice of the Lord thunders, thundered into the hearts of Peter, James, and John. When they heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. It was not the beauty and joy of the sight of Jesus with the prophets that made them afraid. It was the voice from the cloud that overshadowed them. It was the voice of God telling them in no uncertain terms who we are to listen to. That brought them to the ground. They hid their faces. What does this mean? It means that the glory of God is revealed only in his word. You will not find Jesus in any way except by listening to him. Listen to him. We know that Jesus has the glory, but we can't keep it. And we can't even know what it really is unless we listen to him. While we carry our sinful flesh and blood, there is no glory, there is no beauty, there is no God, except in the words of Jesus Christ, the Son whom God loves. This is why we have to defend the scriptures. I don't know how many times I've heard just repeated, well, you know, the Bible's been transmitted so many times, transmitted so many times, we can't trust it. It's just not true. It's just not true. We have thousands of manuscripts. It is the most attested manuscript in the history of the world, as far as the ancient world is concerned. But that doesn't convince me. It doesn't convince anybody. What convinces me is the words that are in them. What convinces me is the word itself. That Jesus is the Son of God and rose from the dead. Their testimony is there. The apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus' majesty. They saw him suffer, they saw him die, and they saw him rise again. What does Peter say in the epistle? The voice came from heaven. They heard this very voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Word tells you who Jesus is. Peter, who saw it with his own eyes, points you to the Bible. He points you to the Scriptures. Like the old children's song goes, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. The Word tells you who he is. He is the sinless one. God is well pleased with him. Listen. And faith will be born, and you will see God's glory in Christ. Listen, and the voice of Jesus will turn you away from your own sins and sorrow to his bearing your sorrow and sin away. Listen, and your having angered God will be silenced by Jesus having pleased him. Listen, and in every trial, when you can't see God, but only the fight that is so hard, and the clouds that overshadow life in this valley of the shadow of death, Listen, because out of the midst of that cloud, in the trial, you will see that the Lord is with you, and he is, you there, with, and he is there with his glory. Only it is hidden from your eyes, but you have the prophetic word confirmed. You have the voice of Jesus. You have a sure and certain foundation to build your life on, to face death with, to fight the world with. You have the glory of God and the word of God. The disciples fell on their faces from fear. But then Jesus came and touched them and said, Rise, and do not be afraid. And they lifted up their eyes and saw no one but Jesus only. Only Jesus. Jesus, who shone like the sun with them, talking to them. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus talking with them. That is how it is for us. Though we were not eyewitnesses, yet we have beheld Christ's glory in listening to him and only him, only Jesus. That is who we need to see when we are burdened down with guilt and are afraid, when we see that we fall short of the glory of God 
Then we need to listen to Jesus who will tell us to get up and show us himself for who he is, the compassionate, merciful man in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, in whom is redemption, forgiveness, holiness, righteousness, glory that his words give to us. There is, since I taught about baptism, I just want to point this out. In your baptism, it seems like such a small thing. And I was talking about this in, in Bible class. Which is greater, the exodus or baptism? The Bible calls baptism the antitype that now saves you, that is the fulfillment of the type. But look at the exodus. You got Moses and the staff. You got this huge sea parted. And then you got Israel going through on dry land. And then Pharaoh and his host being drowned. That is amazing. That is glorious to see. Which is greater, that or that? It is your baptism that also now saves you, not by the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. That is your appeal. It is the word. It raises you up and it teaches you what the glory of God is. The disciples fell on their faces with fear and Jesus raised them with his word. He took away their fear with his word. And the glory that they saw Jesus took to the cross. It was hidden. You may not see it. You may not feel it. You may feel only fear. You may feel confusion and terror. You may feel grief, but your feelings don't change the fact that the glory you fall short of is in the man Jesus, who is God's beloved son, who suffered and died for you and speaks to you every day. Listen to him. Hear him. He speaks and the light shines the truth into your heart. He speaks and you see the darkness of sin and death leave you. He speaks and you see the devil retreat out of your life. He speaks and you see the world that you were afraid of, the people who had power over you, who hurt you. All of that is overcome in your heart, just as Christ overcame the world by bearing its sin. He speaks and the devil's lies are refuted. He speaks and sinners are set free from their chains. He speaks and tells you to get up. There is no danger. There is no reason to be afraid because there is Jesus. There is only Jesus. Look at him. Look, look away from your fears. And listen, and you will see him. What have you lost on this earth? This short life. Have you lost a loved one? Jesus is God's beloved son. And his words are love and spirit and truth. What have you lost? Innocence. That you think you can never regain. He is the sinless, innocent one. The spotless lamb of God in whom God is well pleased. Listen to him, and you have his, his glory, his victory over all that sullies and pollutes. What have you lost that Christ is not here to give you in his word? The law cannot strike the rock again. Moses is alive and resurrected to prove it. He was not let into the promised land then, but now he is forgiven. And talking about Christ fulfilling all of God's promises. No, the law cannot strike Jesus again to give you living water. It is the word that brings this water to you. It is the gospel, the good news of your forgiveness. Can't hear enough. I was talking to Becky. You know, that's why I get so defensive about the sacraments, you know? Why does the devil want to take away from us certainty? Why does he not give us... Why does he go after baptism or the Lord's Supper, other things? God knows how much we need to hear this. This isn't just an, an ancillary or, 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 or a side topic. This is the gospel. We preach Christ crucified. This is what we need to face our sin and death with confidence. We need to listen and we will live. Hear him and so you will see that the glory that is hidden in cross and pain and regret and sadness and loss is still there. But you have lost nothing. You have Christ.
Jesus says this. He promised to give you everything you need. He died you. What's the world's mockery when you hear Jesus? He wins. He wins. You hear him and believe him and you win. What's your own conscience filled with regret compared to the voice of Jesus that tells you to get up and see only Jesus, the fulfiller of the law, the giver of all that is good, the forgiver of all that is evil in your life, the conqueror of death, the express image of the Father, shining his glory upon poor sinners, drawing near to the brokenhearted, the high and holy God who dwells in a high and lofty place, dwelling with him who is lowly and knows his sin, shining his glory and grace and mercy that you receive in his words. Listen to him, and you will conquer with him. Hear him, and when Moses tries to strike the, law, the rock again, you will leave him with the law in Moab and enter with Joshua, which means Jesus, the Lord saves into the promised land. Follow Jesus with his word through pain and mockery and cross and trial. And you will find God's beloved Son in whom he is well pleased, saving you every step of the way. His goodness and mercy following you all the days of your life. His glory that you fell short of, lifting you up to see only Jesus. Amen.